Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Webcast Series, held on September 19, 2018, providing an overview of the proposed guilty regulations. The panelists for the webcast were Mike DeFranzo, a PwC tax partner and leader of our Washington National Tax Services International Tax Services Practice, and Nini Dewar, Nicole Hinton, and Marty Hunter, all PwC tax partners in our International Services Tax Practice. This excerpt consists of a general discussion among the panelists, with an overview on the guilty calculation, what surprised them the most in the proposed guilty regulations, and pro rata share determinations. Have a listen. Nikki, I think you're going to give us a little bit of grounding in, in guilty and what we're going to cover today. Yeah, so before we get into the details of the proposed regulations, we thought we would walk through the, uh, the 12 easy steps to determine your guilty, the tax on your guilty income. So generally, we start with aggregated pro rata share of tested income of all CFCs, and then also we reduce that by the pro rata share of the tested loss of all the CFCs. That gives us the U.S. shareholders' net CFC tested income. We then reduce that by the net deemed tangible income return, which, if you'll recall, is the 10% return on a company's aggregated qualified business assets reduced by interest expense. And then that, the result of that equals the guilty amount. Then if we go move into the, the center of our chart here, the guilty amount then is increased by the Section 78 gross-up. And that gives us our total U.S. shareholder inclusion. We then reduce that by the 50% Section 250 deduction. And we multiply that then by 21% to give us our tentative guilty tax. The tentative guilty tax is then reduced by the deemed paid foreign tax credits and gives us our final tax liability on guilty. So it's a mouthful, um, but I think, you know, to Mike's point, the guidance that we got is really on the left-hand side of that page. So it, it gives us some guidance how to calculate down to the guilty amount, but really from there on, from the, the center and the right side on, that, that's yet to come. Thanks, Nikki. And I want to ask uh, you all a question of what surprised you most about this, this uh, set of regulations? And I'll start with you, Nini. I think there are a couple of things. So I think the basis adjustment is kind of unexpected. And, and I think there are a couple of rules around like the, the treatment of the recapture and the, the, how they deal with um, the, the income, whether the income to be treated as uh, tested income. And, and some of the ways that they're dealing with um, the double counting, it's, it's a little um, surprising to me. Okay. Marty. Yeah, I'll, I'll echo what Nini said. There, there does seem to be a general theme in several provisions that suggest a focus on situations where taxpayers may get a double benefit out of certain adjustments or losses that were taken in prior years, whether they're tested losses or recapture accounts under the 952C rules. Uh, I think, you know, they're framed in the regulations as double benefit contexts. I think we'll see a lot of fact patterns where taxpayers may feel like they're getting an unfair result as a result of some of the adjustments that are made in the future as a result of having, you know, lost money or made downward basis adjustments. Great. And Nikki? Yeah, for me, it really is the basis adjustment rules because there really wasn't a lot of foreshadowing for that. It, you know, we'll walk through them in a bit more detail towards the end of the webcast and why they, they make sense and why the government's looking at them. And I think they're for exactly the reasons that Marty just highlighted. Um, but I, I think that those were a bit of a surprise. Well, what did surprise me about the regulations was the inclusion of an anti-abuse rule tied to not 
new guilty provision in 951A, but actually tied to a 1962 provision, and that it is retroactive. And so with that, I think, uh, Marty, you're going to take us through the pro rata share rules, and in that, I think you're going to talk to us a little bit about that anti-abuse rule. Yep. Thanks, Mike. Um, so good segue. And the 1.951-1 rules here are actually a modification of existing rules, as Mike said, that have been around for a long time. Pro rata share has been relevant um, since subpart F income has been relevant. Um, U.S. shareholders include their pro rata share of subpart F income of CFCs as defined uh, under 951, and in particular the 1.951-1E rules. Uh, in the statute under 951 Cap A, folks will We'll recall that we sort of expected that the that the guilty rules would cross-reference the existing 951 rules because the statute says for all of the items that are required to be computed to determine a guilty inclusion, those items are taken into account at the shareholder level based on the pro rata share rules in 951. Uh, so what we've got here is a package of 951-1 regulations which Importantly, um, the, the last bullet on the slide, but important nonetheless, cross-references the guilty definitional regulations in 1.951 Cap A-1D. So it the guilty rules will implicate these pro rata share rules. And then they provide specific rules for determining the pro rata share, largely keeping the hypothetical distribution construct that existed in the 951 rules prior to these regulations, but modifying on the edges the treatment of preferred stock and multiple classes of preferred stock, you know, maybe moving away in certain circumstances from a per se fair market value allocation to an, a facts and circumstances based test. Um, so we won't spend more time on the detailed mechanics of the 951-1 rules, except for where we've gone now, which is the broad anti-abuse rule in 1.951-1E6. And we've, we've, I won't read the rule verbatim, but we've, we've put it on this slide because we, we do think it's a relatively important rule for folks to focus on. Uh, and it largely says that if a taxpayer undertakes a transaction or arrangement with a principal purpose of reducing uh, federal income tax or, or avoidance of federal income tax related to a pro rata share determination, then that transaction will be disregarded in determining that U.S. shareholder's pro rata share of the subpart F income of the corporation. Um, then it clarifies that because of the cross-reference to the guilty rules, um, that would also include uh, transactions that affect the pro rata share of any item taken into account in determining a guilty inclusion. This rule has sort of quasi-retroactive effect, notwithstanding that it is a subpart F rule. Um, it's effective for U.S. shareholder tax years ending on or before, uh, or excuse me, on or after the date that these regulations are, will ultimately be published in the Federal Register, which I don't think has happened yet. It may happen. No, it hasn't happened yet, but it will happen soon. But it will happen soon. So that, that would this rule would potentially apply to transactions undertaken by, you know, groups with U.S. shareholders whose year is continuing through the date that these regs are published uh, in the Federal Register, so effectively now. Um, so limited retroactive effect. Um, and like we said, uh, the pro rata share rules sort of underlie all subpart F and, and guilty determination. So the broad language, uh, any impact that has a, res a, a result of reducing the pro rata share, you know, I think we're going to have to take into account whether or not that transaction um, could be caught up in this anti-abuse rule. That's a good point. And I just want to follow on the, the retroactive effect. I mean, we've been looking at all the all the provisions of tax reform, and we keep saying that there's an 18-month window for regulations going back to the date of enactment, and that's under 7805B. 
Um, there is another provision in 7805B that in cases of abuse, they can go back in time as well. I, to my knowledge, I can't even think of a rule. Um, I can think of lots of rules that were issued when I was in government or other times that didn't go back in time. The, the government has generally stood, we're not going to be retroactive. We're going to give uh, taxpayers notice before we apply something. This rule, as you read it, is retroactive. It's going to apply, and it is not, again, a part of tax reform. So it is very interesting. But one thing I would point out in 7805B is, I don't have it in front of me, I haven't looked at it in a few years, but I think it actually applies to rules enacted after 1986. Mm -hmm. So I think technically they're not prohibited from going back. And But I, again, I don't think they've really ever crossed that line before. So it is interesting when you look at the effective date. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic, please email the participants. Their email addresses can be found in the description of this episode. Thank you. Mm -hmm.